I think having the people in my life that believed in me the way they did, the way they poured themselves into me and what they got from me when they did was again, that 10 times mindset. Like I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to give back to them so much for their belief in me because they believed in me and I, I wanted to prove myself to them. All right, we are here today with Chad Silverstein. Chad is living proof that you can succeed in business and do right by the people you work with and the people you serve regardless of your industry. Chad Silverstein is the founder and CEO of Choice Recovery and the co-founder of Restart. Chad has worked in the collections industry for 22 years, and in that time, he has developed and refined his personal philosophy, a philosophy based on the principles of purpose, responsibility, kindness, and love, and integrated that into his day-to-day operations and interactions with clients, teammates, and his community. It's pretty great. Thank you. Yeah. It's good to be here. Yeah. It's great to have you, Chad. And, um, you know, I know all of that to be true. And I think that's partly how we've become friends because we've kind of grown up, I guess, maybe in the built to lead and EOS and coach and all the kind of other crazy stuff that we've both been attracted to. And there's that passion for kind of how you really bring the uh, yourself to your company and make a difference in people's lives that I think we both you know have in common. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah it's been fun to be on that journey with you. Sure has, sure has. Crazy, crazy road. All those uh, the the personal and professional development opportunities and just such so blessed to be able to have opportunities to then share it with the people that you get to work with every day and then see people's lives change. It's just amazing. Yeah. Okay. So. I want to talk all about kind of, you know, what you're doing and, and, you know, how you've really been able to incorporate your philosophy for life um, into your work, into your businesses. But, but before we do that, I, I want to kind of go back and hear how you've come to have those beliefs and, and to have those philosophies that you wanted to share with your work, with your world. I want to I want to start kind of maybe early on, you know, the 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 threads, the the you know, the dots that weren't connected, the challenges, the the kind of um life that, you know, you were born into. So tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, I know the story, but for our listeners, you know, share share with us kind of, you know, where you're from and kind of what your early life was like. Yeah, sure. So, from Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm the youngest of four boys. So I grew up in University Heights and my older brothers went to a pretty tough school uh, in Cleveland called Heights High. And it was a school that my parents didn't want me to go to. So my brothers were tough. They were, uh, they were feared, I guess you could say. So I had protection and it was a very- It's always nice. It's very nice. And it was always a very good feeling knowing that I didn't have to worry about being bullied. And, um, and I always wanted to like, you know- um, I looked up to my brothers. They were, they were there for me. Um, they didn't see me the same way necessarily as I saw them. I was their little brother. And by the time my parents had four, uh, I experienced my youth different than they did. And by the time I got to uh, middle school, we had moved to a school called Beachwood. And Beachwood's a different school than uh, in the Heights world. And so I had a much different experience than my brothers. What but, was the difference? So I went to school with 100 people. 
Mm. You know, they were to school with thousands of people. Mm-hmm. So just your entire experience socially and your friends mm-hmm. and sports, you know, like you, 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 everyone knows everybody at my Got school. It, yeah. So it's just a, a different experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great. You know, I, I blessed to have a good childhood. I would say from what I remember and what I recall, um, I definitely had a sense that I was always um, alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think my brothers loved, they want to be with their friends. They don't want to babysit their little brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think, especially with my parents and my mom going back to work and me kind of being who I was, I um, was always trying to kind of prove myself and look for that, trying to get attention. And in middle school, the first person who really had a huge impact on me was my wrestling coach. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that had a huge, because I think then he, he took that and he built back into me. Mm-hmm. And so, and I want to just um, kind of pause for a second. So, um, you, how would you describe yourself? Kind of, you know, as a as a kid, you said, you know, alone. There was a sense to prove yourself. I mean, it, it, where where was that coming from? Was that kind of how you were just like naturally wired? You know, tell me a little bit in hindsight, kind of like how you kind of saw yourself in your early years. Yeah, I would say I was definitely trying to get attention. I was competitive. Mm-hmm. I, I had something to prove. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having three older brothers and like, you know, always wanted to play with them, always wanted, and I, I could never be as good as them in anything because I was, I was little mm-hmm. and I couldn't uh, do all the things that they mm-hmm. uh, were able to do. So more of like a birth order kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of where were your parents in, in that kind of dynamic? So, it's weird. My, my relationship with my parents really started to grow when my brothers left. Yeah. And then I was the only one in the house. Yeah. That's when it really, our relationship really started to grow. Mm-hmm. But when I was uh, younger, yeah, I think my, my parents were very busy with four boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I probably, uh, looking back, didn't have as good of a relationship as I probably maybe I wanted. Yeah. But it was good. Yeah. It was good. It's just, I don't remember that much about a lot of time one-on-one, for example, with my parents. Yeah. And, and um, what were your interests? You know, kind of what were the things that you were, uh, you started to talk about wrestling? You know, was that, was that kind of where you first started to get a, a spark of something that you were so that was interested in, in? Yeah, in middle school, that's where mm-hmm. it started. Mm-hmm. Up until middle school, it was just friends. Mm-hmm. Just out in the neighborhood, very mm-hmm. different than what it's like today. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we just had a lot of friends in the, in the neighborhood. And then everything changed for me when, when I got to middle school. Yeah. And so... Uh, wrestling was was what you gravitated to, and and do you remember why? Was there a reason why wrestling was it? This kind of like prove myself, you know, want to be tough, strong, like my big brothers kind of thing. Yeah, and and it was the coach mm-hmm. who instilled in a group of us that um, if you want X, Y, and Z, you know, if you want to be tough, if mm-hmm. you want to be able to uh, get girls, if you mm-hmm. want to be able to be a champion, like try it out, see, mm-hmm. see if you have what it takes. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, yeah, we got to prove ourselves, right? And then we were able to do it in an individual setting, but also within a team setting, which mm-hmm. is really cool because mm-hmm. we all started at the same place and we had someone who believed in us and who took like a bunch of kids who had zero experience and potential for talent and he wanted to build us. Mm-hmm. And we let him do that. And that's from seventh grade through high school. I had a one track mind. It was, mm-hmm. it was to become a state champion and that was it. It mm-hmm. was like nothing else mattered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So this is like, you know, your first entree into a coach. Um, you know, we, you and I both are very engaged in the coaching world and outside of sports, you know, we can talk about that later and the impact, but 
you know, I'm I'm knowing about that and and hearing you talk about your your first, you know, sports coach. This is a pretty powerful engagement for you to kind of understand what it's like for somebody to influence you, to motivate you, to um, to be facilitate your growth, right? Uh, is that right? Big time. And Scott and I, uh, we didn't know it at the time, but we were best friends. Thirty-two years later, we learned together once a week um, on more of the spiritual side, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, this this guy, he um, he just knew how to touch us where we need where we where we needed to be touched, right? Mm-hmm. As far as like he met us where we were in seventh grade and he knew what he wanted to do to build us into the kind of young men that he thought he had the potential to 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 get from us and he did. Mm-hmm. And so and we were able to just be blessed to um, kind of have a platform with the sport of wrestling to do it. And the sport of wrestling helps you navigate through a lot of things that we deal with on our on an everyday level, you know, from discipline to, um, you know, for leadership. You know, I, I was a captain in seventh grade through high school, so I got my first taste of leadership too. Mm-hmm. On top of being coached at the same time, mm-hmm. yeah. And and I want to come back to kind of the spiritual piece because I think that's like an interesting thread that that you were not in a religious school, religious environment, and 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 Scott, I believe from what I know. Um, kind of came to spirituality also later in life, but it's an interesting thing. And, and you know, maybe you want to just touch on that now. I, I want to kind of go back and double click on some of the leadership pieces. But um, you know, you you did both kind of end up arriving on a very similar spiritual path. He was a coach. He turns out to be your best friend. You're learning together. You have. I mean, that to me feels pretty. Um, spiritual by itself. That's destined. I mean, yeah. like there's purpose. You know, every relationship, I, I believe everything happens for a reason. The people we meet, there's something to learn from all of them. And some people have a bigger impact on you than others. Mm-hmm. This one was my first potential huge uh, influencer in my life and it had nothing to do with any spiritual side. Neither one of us had any connection whatsoever. Um, you know, like God was not even mentioned really in my house that much. It was, mm-hmm. it was just, you know, we're Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. So that was it. And not until for at least Scott um, losing um, one of his parents. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, my kind of turning point was when my kids were born and mm-hmm. seeing that miracle happen just kind of just struck me in a way that I just never saw coming. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was a long time after we were best friends from high school and, and our wrestling days, right? But mm-hmm. we remained close after because that bond that, that, that a coach and a, and, a, and a wrestler has it's 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 very special, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, we just we just uh, we have a lot in common. Yeah. So let's. I want to come back to the spirituality piece, but you know the the leadership element. You know, you you. I'm guessing you weren't really seeing it that way, but was or or was he specifically telling you that you needed to be a leader and that you were now captain and and were you using leadership language or is this kind of in hindsight? No, it was. Um, there was none of that there was only one thing and that was work harder than everyone else, win every sprint, climb more ropes and never quit. And just an unwavering um, discipline to outwork people and to um, do what no one else wants to do. Mm -hmm. And that's what I learned from middle school to high school is that I can do more than what I think I can do. Mm -hmm. And even when I hit my breaking point, I can still go. And he knew how to break us and then build it build this back up. Mm-hmm. And he did that a lot mm-hmm. um, with the aim of becoming 
a state champ. And so we had a, we had a very clear vision for what we were doing. We used to walk in and he would make us say to him, he'd say, how do you feel today? And you had to answer, I feel like a state champ. He had programmed us to create this vision for ourselves. And it was a shared common vision so that we could be there for each other when we were struggling. And so I was not like learning leadership from a, a workshop perspective. I was actually like, didn't even know it at the time, but I was being put in a position to do what leaders have to do. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know it. But then, you know, obviously when I left high school and I was in opportunities to like pursue things, I had, I kind of felt what, I, what it's going to take and I knew how to do it and I had done it before. So it was like, it wasn't something I had to go try to do and I had to learn how to do it. I was doing it throughout middle school and high school. It was like, I was programmed to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I know you to be one of the most disciplined people I know in many ways. I mean, you, you take things on in a way that's unlike anybody else I know. You, when, you, when you set your mind to something, you just go all in and you tackle it fully. And you know, I could see how that was ingrained, embodied into who you were at a very young age and how that's you know, showing up in your life now. Is, is that true? Is, is yeah. you still feel that kind of sense of work harder and, and do something nobody else has done? Like when I have something in front of me that I love, it's like, that's it. Like, uh, like nothing can come between me and like trying to get that. If I can see the path, and even if I can't, but I know there is a path, I'm going to go try to, you know, be curious and figure out who can I talk to, who can help me, how can I, you know, possibly get there. But if I'm like really passionate about like wanting something, I just figure I just, I want to go get it. Mm-hmm. Like if it's possible, why, why can't I go get it? And then I have to then kind of sometimes process, is it possible? And sometimes it, it isn't and I'll still go because you never know. And I, <laughs> I proved myself to be able to get some of those. And I've also fallen on my face with many of them. And mm-hmm. I'm okay with that because mm-hmm. you never know when the, the next one's going to be the next expression of whatever it is that you're doing. And I've constantly been in transition throughout my career, pursuing this growth concept of like just trying to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that like when you're doing that, like you keep, you keep breaking through a ceiling that cr- it creates new complexities that you're not used to. It requires you to then go learn new capabilities. And then all of a sudden you see things differently. Your perspective changes. And like one of the coaches we work with, Dan Sullivan, he says, change your perspective, change your life. And I just feel like every time I'm blessed to have someone in my life, guys like you, guys like my coach, guys, people at work, and sometimes from the most unlikely sources, but they get you to see something that you couldn't see. The blind spot comes off and then all of a sudden it changes everything. Mm -hmm. And I can't go back when I do that. Like I just... I can't ignore it. Yeah. So, so you had said, you know, you have this belief around kind of everything happening as it's meant to be. I'm not sure if that was your exact language, but it's kind of how I heard it. And, I'm, you know, you can use your language. I'm curious kind of how you then, oh, did you guys win the state championship? So I, I lost in the state championship to a kid I beat the week before. And if I would have won and my best friend who did the same thing, if we, we both took second. If we would have won, our team would have won it. So we were a little shy. And um, Scott, my coach, he yeah. had done the same thing. He had lost in the state finals to the kid he beat the week before. So we kind of yeah. all had a very similar path, which I look back and it's kind of funny. We we're all runner-ups. Yeah, It's weird, but like, it's kind of good that one of us didn't win it because it would have been like, yeah, so it's weird. Well, well, so it's an interesting thing because you came damn close, right? So, you know, it's not like that kind of mantra, you know, feel like a state champion um, was that far off, right? You're right there. Uh, and, and, you know, which is most people don't get that far. So obviously it's working. 
But how was it for you that that you didn't end up winning? You know, in the spirit of it's all kind of happening as it's meant to be. Right. How does that then go on to serve you and what you do next? I mean, it was the first blow in my life at the time. I thought that was the biggest blow, but at the time it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, you train for six years for one match, you get to it and you lose, and you beat the kid. It's not easy to swallow, right? And you know, you're thinking scholarships. You're thinking mm-hmm. I'm going to move on, and. Uh, I was devastated. Mm-hmm. It did not feel good. And I look back now, it's the, it is the best thing that happened because mm-hmm. it's maybe probably a little bit more competitive than I, I would have been. And mm-hmm. I don't like to lose. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just very competitive. And I think it's in a healthy way, mm-hmm. but it helps drive me. And I, uh, I think I know what it takes in order to kind of be in that championship level of certain things. I keep learning that I don't know in certain things in business what it's going to require to keep raising the bar, but I, I try to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's fun. Like that, that motivates me to keep going. And so looking back, it's funny how I went to Ohio State. I wrestled for Ohio State the first year. I did not like it. It was mm-hmm. a very different experience. Mm-hmm. If I would have won, maybe I wouldn't have been to Ohio State. So I don't know. So like, you know, I, I think about my business starting there, mm-hmm. you know, my kids being in my life. Like who knows? Like that one little moment of truth in my life, mm-hmm. going and putting that fork in the road that I go to Ohio State, who knows what could have happened if, if that would have turned out as a different result. So I, I obviously no regrets and it yeah. was an incredible experience, but definitely, uh, it definitely still kind of, I won't say I don't still think about it. Sure. But, yeah. And I mean, I think it's like a little bit of a perspective thing and, and, you know, it's funny. I remember um, I played tennis in high school and I uh, was not as good of a tennis player as you were a wrestler, but I had match point my freshman or sophomore year. I, I think it was maybe my sophomore year. I had match point to go to the States and I double faulted and lost the match. And I have gotten more mileage out of telling the story that I double faulted to lose the match with my kids, teaching life lessons, just making fun of it. Like then I think I would have if I would have just gone to States, you know, because I was not winning States. So it's just been like by itself. The story, the experience seems to have had way more mileage. And, you know, I think sometimes, you know, we talk about this, well, you know, you learn from your failures. And it's like a common language that feels kind of like, I don't know, it's just soup or something, right? People say it. But, but I think you've really used your experiences, each one of them, to build on, to learn from, to uh, serve you. And maybe it wasn't as conscious then as it is today, but um, how, so go tell me a little bit more. So you know, you you go on and and you have this experience. You lose. You you end up going to Ohio State anyway. Wrestling at a Big Ten program, it's you know big deal. But you, you just see it's not for you. You just feel like it's time for me to to stop. Yeah, it was the first thing I've ever quit. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. Russell, my second year, I went and coached at Dublin Kaufman. So then I got into it. You know, I stayed in what I mm-hmm. loved, and I got an opportunity then to, to then coach. Mm. And so that was a completely flip of, of a perspective. Of everything. Were you assisting or yeah, yeah. I was an assistant coach at the high school? Mm-hmm. So then I was, and I was not much older than the kids. So I mm-hmm. I, I created this incredible bond, and they, mm. it, was, it was an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember leaving the team. That was such a that was a really big deal for me because. I had no identity outside of wrestling. That's how I identified myself. Mm-hmm. And I was friends with these guys. And then as soon as I was done, I was completely isolated. Mm-hmm. Didn't have any friends mm-hmm. because I wasn't on a team anymore. And I didn't try to make any other friends. 
and I didn't feel so good about myself. And, uh, you know, I had to kind of, I had to sit with that and I had to, I had to overcome that. And I did. Mm-hmm. And I think coaching and jumping into that world, it helped really quick to mm-hmm. re- rebound pretty fast. Yeah. Pouring yourself into other people. Yeah. yeah. And, and were, was there any other way that you kind of worked through that or was that really? Yeah. Heavy? It was like a big deal to wrestle at Ohio State mm-hmm. to wear the t-shirt. Like, sure. And, I, and I, I came to a point where that was bothering me too much that I was like not going to be able to do that. And once I kind of like gave that up, like who cares? Mm-hmm. Like I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like feeling like I'm just going to let that go. Mm-hmm. And it helped because yeah. I, I cared a little too much about just the image of being mm-hmm. able to say that I wrestled there. And it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't as big a deal as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. So, I mean, there's a there's a number of things there that are kind of showing up for me. You know, you're you're learning, you're growing. You've you've kind of taken on all these lessons from your coach, from from you know being competitive, succeeding, from failing, uh, from now you know making a, a change, quitting, to um, figuring out who you are. A new identity is is starting to surface and you go pour yourself into other people. So now, now you're giving back. These are all things that, you know, as I know you, you're, you're, you've expanded and elevated tremendously in your life and what you're doing now and everything that you're doing now. Talk a little bit about then what's next for you. Where do you start? If I, if I remember correctly, you started to get engaged in your business in college, right? Yeah, so I uh, my junior year at Ohio State, I went home to Cleveland for a summer job, and uh, I ended up working at a collection agency. And they put me on the phones, and I attacked it the same way I attacked wrestling. It's it's how, and that's how I think when you say that what you know about me, it's it's usually how I attack everything. So mm-hmm. I found out who made the most calls in the office, and I planted myself down, and I made more calls than that person. And the next thing I knew, you know. I started getting attention because mm-hmm. who's this guy coming in here doing it? He hasn't even been trained and he's, he's killing it. And uh, the owner at the time, the CEO, uh, when I was going back to start my senior year, he asked me if I wanted to do something in Columbus. Didn't even know what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. And two days before I went back, he said, come with me. And we walked into a dentist office down the street. He gave me a sales book. He's like, I want you to go into Columbus if you want a you know, sales job. And so we talked it through. And so I was going to go sell this collection service to doctor's offices in Columbus, Ohio by knocking on doors and making cold calls. And you were, you were going into your senior year. Yeah. yeah. So you're, I don't know, what is that? 21 years That's old? 20. 20. Yeah. So interesting that, you know, this is now something that you're thinking about from a, from a work standpoint, from a making money, or is it the challenge, the kind of competitive nature just being applied somewhere else? So what was going on? Yeah. So, because most most you know kind of I, I shouldn't most twenty one year olds are maybe not thinking so much right. about kind of pouring themselves into work. Right. So Scott was that first influencer. Uh, my partner, uh, who eventually became my partner, Norm, was my second influencer, mm-hmm. and I felt like I wanted to prove myself to him, and he believed in me. So like mm-hmm. here's another situation, same same situation that paralleled my my high school wrestling experience, but now it was in a, a work setting. I didn't really know what I was I was going to do. I was going to go into psychology. That was my plan. I was going back my senior year. I changed my ke- my schedule to go to classes from nine thirty, ten thirty, eleven thirty. Keep my afternoons free. And it was interesting. It was an opportunity to work so I can make money because I didn't really have any money. And look, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I wasn't planning on going on business. I was planning on staying in school, but I had like a 3.0. So I didn't know how, and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, when I saw him walk into a dentist's office and make a cold call, and all he did was like make her laugh and he like just start up a conversation. I realized this is like, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Like he just basically walked in, uh, he, no money up front, no contracts, give us a try. And, and like, we got people to sign up. And so I came back to Columbus and I just started pounding the pavement. And in like six months, I had a hundred clients mm-hmm. and it just blew up. Like, it just like, oh my gosh, like there's a hundred clients. And I was giving them all to this company in Cleveland and he came down and we, we would talk every night. He was pouring himself into me. He was mentoring me. Mm-hmm. And so I had another coach in the business sense who saw potential in me. And then I just kept raising the bar and killing it. And we just, we bonded. And so then we had this incredible relationship. And then here comes the end of my senior year and him saying, what do you want to do? And I had an opportunity to go into a business with a friend who was selling t-shirts <laughs> to all the fraternities and everything. Mm-hmm. And then I had this opportunity and I, I saw something there. He saw something and he sat down and this, this guy taught me so much. He said, what do you want to make? And he like gave me the ball on the court. And mm-hmm. I remember I gave him a number. He goes, done. And I was like, wow. Mm. And then a year later, I was a partner with them. We started the business, separated it and opened up an office and it just just grew from there. Okay. So, so before we kind of go down that path, you mentioned something that caught my attention that, that you were interested in psychology. You were studying psychology. Were you thinking that you wanted to go into psychology or was it just kind of a major that you picked or a, a curiosity? And tell me a little bit more because... I know that this is, you know, kind of a thread that is a part of what you do in the coaching, in the kind of serving people, helping others, um, and a lot of what we experiencing it. <laughs> sure, and and being on. The, so tell me, kind of, where was that in your life? And yeah, just tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think. Um, look, if I go back into college. Why did I pick that as a, as a, as a, my major? I, I think I, I had to pick something. So that mm-hmm. started there. Like I got to pick something, you know, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I was interested in it. I remember as I took classes, I became disinterested. I remember like, what am I taking these classes for? Like, this isn't, doesn't seem like psychology. I'm learning about monkeys. I'm learning about like just stuff that like, mm-hmm. and I was, I did not enjoy school. I didn't enjoy the, the learning aspect of taking tests, memorizing things, and then like not being able to like retain the knowledge or feeling there's any need for for that knowledge. I, I tell people I learned more in the first couple of days of working than I did in four years trying mm-hmm. to go to class. And, and, and I went to class, mm-hmm. um, but I, nothing really retained. It didn't stuck. I didn't have a passion for it. So mm-hmm. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to me why I look back, why I didn't really retain any of that information because it didn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. So there was no probably good reason, except that I, I've always had a desire to give. I've always had a desire to help. And I've always had, I think from wrestling, uh, some confidence that I, I can do it. And I, I love sharing things. I love sharing like things that I have experienced. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I felt at that time that I had things to share, but I was interested in being curious to learn if it was something. Mm-hmm. But obviously my passion for it wasn't that strong because I was real quick to jump off the train when another opportunity came up. Yeah. And, and, and I'm just kind of curious and maybe I'm projecting because for me, psychology was also, uh, you know, as I've said, like this flash of insight, you know, when I was, sitting in my psych class in college and getting this like like intrigue, like sitting up in my seat. This is something that I'm, wow, this is interesting. Like, you know, I hadn't been interested academically in much and, and it was really hitting me as something that I thought, wow, this is like amazing work that this exists. Maybe I would want to do that. But for me, there was a lot of programming around business and success and manlyhood and making money and you know, looking good. And 
you know, a psychologist, you know, at that time in the world, in my life, in the world I lived in, wasn't as kind of revered as the things that seem to be valued. Um, and this is, you know, just kind of more, I would say, like, you know, in my early childhood on my father's side, you know, there was a lot of kind of, you know, business focus. My mom had actually taken us to therapy when we were little and was a big proponent of it and big, very supportive. But internally, I had a, a, a picture about what a man was supposed to do. Was any of that true for you? Any of this kind of like competitive, you know, your brothers proving yourself, succeeding, winning, you know, did any of that kind of drive you more towards business than maybe going down a different it's path? Funny. It's funny hearing you say that. Like, mine's actually the opposite. I, for me, I was interested and curious to see if that was a path I want to go down. Something else showed up in my life that I loved that I, I, I found to be good at and I, and I took it and ran. And I opened up an office one year out. So I was like thrusted in the world of leadership, hiring people right out of college. Mm -hmm. And psychology then became like my thing mm -hmm. because I was now almost like in a role of not being the, the patient. I was, I was coaching people and I was eating up leadership books and I was learning what it mm -hmm. took to get the best out of people, to how to influence, to how to, um, how to build a team. So from everything from a leadership perspective to getting people to do what you want them to do, to getting people to um, buy my services. from a, So in every area of my life, from getting clients, customer service over the phones, I was, I was doing every position in the company. I was coaching new employees, collecting, doing data entry, selling client services. I was, I was the only person, so I had to. Yeah. And in every one of those components, I was in a world where psychology lived. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time, but I was learning so much. I was reading books and mm -hmm. I was just eating it up. And I, and I think I was so focused on myself, mm -hmm. like learning how to grow. Mm -hmm. um, Your own growth. My own growth. Yeah. So I was into Napoleon Hill and I yeah. was into Dale Carnegie. And right. I, I took all the classes. I became a Dale Carnegie trainer. Yeah. I was doing courses. So yeah. I, was, I was working on myself so hard. Yeah. And at the same time, being able to like play with it with people that yeah. were working for me. And then also in a workshop setting with Dale Carnegie classes and public courses. So mm -hmm. I was getting a taste of everything. And it just all just started to like help me mm -hmm. become who I was. Yeah, right? yeah. It, it's it's really interesting because you and I are so similar in that way. I've been devouring books on tape, and you know, going back, dating myself, I guess. But you know, podcast and then coaching and therapy, and there is this like thirst, right? That, that there's this seeking, this this desire to grow, and and there's such a passion for it. You've really used business, building organizations as your primary vehicle for applying all of that learning to help other people and, and to help yourself along the way. And now you're, you're really expanding how you're doing that into things outside of your work in a, in a pretty amazing way. But let's just talk a little bit about choice before we, we get into kind of some of those things. Um, you're in this kind of early stage. You, you've been given this gift, and and you know it feels pretty damn kind of like you know the universe, God, you know whoever is is bringing this to you. This guy that you just started to like work for in college now has essentially put you in business at a like super young age. He sees something in you, and and now you're like you own this thing, and it's like I got to go make it happen. 
tell me about like what what was that experience like for you to just be thrust into into you know this business? It's incredible because when I look back and now I'm I have a startup now, so I'm in that world and I see and I talk to other entrepreneurs. My experience was so different. Mm-hmm. Money was never even a thought. We had two people who all we wanted to do was give to each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was not you and Norm, yeah, your partner. I mean, yeah. the guy he paid me 50-50. He didn't take a penny from this business because we were, you know, I was making, we were bringing in clients for his Cleveland company. We separated it off and created it because I couldn't have anything to do with his company in Cleveland. So we had to start it from scratch. Mm-hmm. And he just, he treated me like a real partner would treat someone and he didn't have to. And most people don't. And I gave back to him. I tried to get back to him tenfold and I never asked for a penny. I never asked for anything. And I just kept getting and I think he had the same experience. He didn't ask for anything for me. And he just kept getting for me. And that's why it worked so good. We just mm-hmm. had this cool success story. For 15 years, we worked together and I ended up buying him out. But he let me have autonomy. He let me grow. He let me be me, but he also built into me. And then I, I just took everything. I, could. I soaked everything up. We used to talk on the phone for hours. And mm-hmm. he taught me the business. And I think the most important lesson that he taught me, you know, building up choice, because he has a company in Cleveland, was, was the people, how to treat people, how to give. And um, it was not about leadership. That wasn't his thing. He wasn't into it like I was. So he didn't care. Do what you want to do. But I knew how to deal with situations when they came up. And he was the most unbelievable person I've ever met in my life at having a, I call it PMA, a positive mental attitude. It did not matter what happened when we started this business. And we got kicked in the gut many, many times, as you know, as an entrepreneur. Every time I call him with something and I, I catastrophize things, and he would just pick me up and he'd find the silver lining and he would convince me. And he did. He, like, he programmed me to think in a way that I think now for sure, because you know, I even use my faith for it. Everything happens for a reason. It's all good. It's for my benefit, whether I can see it or not or understand it. But he actually like, he built that into me before I even started believing that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know it was happening because I, I do think it's more, it was more of a programming issue. I knew when I called him, he was going to be picking me up. And... Uh, what a gift, like you said, what a gift. Mm-hmm. And he was in Cleveland. He let me do this in Columbus. And I, I built the kind of office and company that I wanted to come into every single day. And it was not focused on aiming at money. It was not focused on growing the company. I, that was the result of what happened if I was pouring myself into people and the clients. And I loved what I was doing. I was good at it. And I just, I was competitive. And you know, if I got on the phones, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to mm-hmm. get five clients today. If I was collecting, I was going to collect and I can get people to give me their checks and credit cards over the phone by being nice to them. Mm-hmm. You know, So I think it was really cool. It was a fun, challenging. And then once I started hiring people, that's when everything changed because mm-hmm. then it was a whole new ballgame because now it's not just me. Now I got to lead others. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So the business is now growing. It's changing. You're you know, applying all this, this learning about how you want to serve people. And 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 maybe actually even before you know and 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 I'm not actually sure of the timing of this you know where built lead comes in and you know kind of how you start to really build the the culture the organization that you 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 built because you're not just a collection agency you guys have taken an entirely different approach to collection talk a little bit about kind of where that came from and I don't know which came first if it was Built to lead in, in your opus, or if if the original idea was there first. It's funny. It's actually interesting. My lack of business experience, not going to business school, not even being interested in it, helped me. So, the ignorance was so good for me at the yeah. time because I walked into an opportunity where I could build this business. I have 
an incredible opportunity in a really tough industry because, you know, people think collections, they're not thinking smile, right? Mm -hmm. No one wants to come work at one. It's just a tough industry. Um, and my goal was to build it exactly different than everyone else. So I actually took the model of what I looked in the market and I just did everything the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. So people had call centers. I didn't want that to have people in their own offices. People were working in pooled environments. I'm like, no, let's make an entrepreneurial out of it. Let's, let's pay you based on what you do, not on what the team does, mm -hmm. right? So I just took the model and I was able to enhance that over time because every person I interviewed told me what they hated about their other company and I just did the opposite. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh my gosh, I love that. And I realized it made sense. So I just, I did what made sense. I didn't have to answer to a board. My partner let me do things and it just worked. It just like, and if it didn't, I would learn and I would shift and I would be able to try something else. And I didn't have to worry about getting fired. So I had that freedom, which was really cool. And I had a, I had a, a model of it in Cleveland who's been around for 30 years at the time. And he was showing me what he was doing. And so I was able to like collaborate with him. Mm -hmm. The the biggest thing for us was I um, I started getting into the, the Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, mm -hmm. the loss of success. And I, I ate that up. I came across Dale Carnegie and I ate that up and I started really moving towards that personal development kind of coaching world where I took all the public courses and then I started teaching it at the, at the company. So mm -hmm. I figured how cool, like people want it. You were teaching a Dale, Dale Carnegie. Carnegie. Yeah. So I did an after hours Dale Carnegie class, 30 people participated off the clock after hours on how to public speak and how to like, it was leadership. Mm -hmm. We did it for 10 weeks. We had a graduation. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. And then um, I got an opportunity to meet Chet at Built to Lead mm -hmm. and I had to make a choice. Do I go and be a Dale Carnegie trainer? And they were giving me the whole platform to go get clients, do my thing, or do I want to uh, be coached by Built to Lead? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and I want to talk about that. I think it's really important to highlight that you have been doing things intuitively. You know, that you were, you were kind of not in this like formal training, which, you know, I wasn't in either. I, I in fact, you know, wanted to go back and get a master's in business because I felt like I didn't know how to really run a business. And I was fortunate enough to have a mentor who just encouraged me to get involved in a, a peer network and, and learn from my peers, which was actually how I ended up getting to Built to Lead, ironically. Um, but I think it's often still, it's still underestimated and not valued, or there's a lack of confidence that happens with entrepreneurs where they don't necessarily believe that some of the things that they're just thinking that come natural to them that might be different than how it's typically done are really, really the way forward, which is what you have done with your business. Look, you and I are in coach and we do collaboration. All about collab I didn't realize at the time, but when I was reading all those Napoleon Hill books, they talk about mastermind groups. Mm -hmm. So I had built a mastermind group early on in my business with the employees. It's a self-managed self concept and we called it an employee advisory board, the ABC committee. And you had to read the book to get into it. And when you get into it, you get to make the decisions for, all the, for what we do in the company. So I had a team of like 15, 20 people that made all the decisions for the company because I was by myself. I didn't have a, a president, a vice president, a board. I didn't have any executive positions. I was hiring entry-level folks like I was, mm -hmm. building them into the people who were running the company. And I let us as a team, if they shared that common mindset of, of think and grow rich and set a goal and a vision for yourself, we called it a definite chief aim. We used to meet every week and we'd make every decision for the company. And I didn't realize it, but that was building our culture. That, that's what made us who we were. Mm -hmm. No collection agency was doing that. 
they had their, their higher level executives telling people what to do, making people feel uncomfortable. And here I am, this little small company growing and letting all the employees make all the decisions. And we fell on our face, but we would come back next week. We would learn and we would rinse it and we would all of a sudden then change it. And everyone was happy. So I had an office full of happy people love working there. And now I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was doing collaboration with people. I didn't even know what I was doing, mm-hmm. but I did. Because it, it just felt right. You yeah, know, it just, it just you felt did. Right. You, you didn't think you did, but you really did. And that's the kind of point I wanted to highlight is that like you actually, and I think most people have this ability and you have to learn and you sometimes make mistakes and learn from those, but trusting that kind of internal guide, which, you know, maybe kind of is the good segue to Built to Lead. Because if you don't know what it is, it's it's like, you know, in Built to Lead, they say, you know, the best way to to get good gut instincts is to do a lot of sit-ups, right? So you, you kind of have to like do the work. Talk to me a little bit about how does Built to Lead show up? Who I don't think I know how it was introduced to your life and 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 why don't you just talk a little bit about Built to Lead? Chet's actually going to be a guest on the podcast here soon. But um, yeah, talk a little bit about how it's yeah. influenced you and come into your life. So then, uh, so I have first have my wrestling coach, then I have my mentor, and then here comes Chet, right? So I met Chet through a friend in EO. I was in EO at the time. Mm-hmm. They introduced me to Build to Lead. And I interviewed maybe two or three different builders and decided to pass. And Chet reached out to someone and said, I'm looking for a new client. He's looking for someone in a private company, someone young, someone who's eager. And I reached out, had lunch with him. And I remember- This is how many years ago? This was in 2010. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, we're hitting 10 years. And he, uh, he asked me why I wanted to get coached. And I told him I wanted to slow down. I'm, I'm moving too fast. My brain's too fast. I talk too fast. I move too fast. I have too much going on. And uh, a week later, I tore my Achilles tendon. And so I got a message to slow down because now I was on crutches, right? Mm-hmm. So- I engage with Chet and two weeks into it, I'm on the floor doing planks. <laughs> and I'm like, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, it's my next coach. Because yeah. who does that? Right. And, and I knew he wasn't just some coach. And I knew- Because this isn't, this isn't an athletic coach, no, right? No. But we're, but we're planking now. And boy, did he hit me hard. Mm-hmm. I remember our first couple of practices complained to him about things at work. And he looked at me, he's like, you're the problem. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I was, you know, triple Ding, you know, defending. To, I was just completely mm-hmm. defensive on everything he was saying. And, he very quickly proved that I was wrong. And so um, I have no problem humbling myself when I'm wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> because I've always proven that I'm open to it. So give mm-hmm. me the feedback and I'll, I'll adjust. That's mm-hmm. what I've always had to do in business. And he quickly showed me that and he was good at it. And I've never had anyone, I was doing it all on my own. The Dale Carnegie, the advisory board, Kitty. Mm-hmm. He helped me kind of expand the efforts because he was going to give me everything that I didn't know how to do. Mm-hmm. And I had zero experience. And this guy comes from, a company where he had 600 people on a sales team and I'm here, I am a sales team running five people and I didn't know what I was doing. I knew how to talk to people. Mm-hmm. So he helped me and um, he helped me on the leadership end. So this was my real introduction into what actual like real leadership is, mm-hmm. leading yourself. And I was doing it, but not at the level of what I would say is definitely like built to lead. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, that was a game changer for me, you know, working with chat mm-hmm. and to be able to six months later, give that gift to people on my team. That just, again, another game changer. And here we are, 300 team practices later. It's just, it's unbelievable looking back and seeing it. It's incredible. And what would you say kind of, of all of the built to lead learnings and and tools, you know, maybe, you know, for our kind of audience's benefit, like 
describe it. What has it given you? What has it been right. kind of most valuable for? And 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 how do you use it? Well, I had something happen the other day that absolutely knocked me off my socks. So Chet talks about an opus. He talks about a big vision. He talks about how leaders, they know where they're going and they, t- they have a highway and they're open to, um, you know, being able to adjust along the way and get people aligned going, going with them. And I early on adopted a, a vision to change the perception of collections. I was doing everything the opposite of other collection agencies. We were, you know, a best place to work and, and ethic awards and it's not common in a collection agency setting. And we just were pursuing it with such, such enthusiasm. And I wasn't by myself doing it. And I just, I, I, I rinsed that opus. I put that out there. I never made anyone jump onto my opus. I had a mission statement early on and no one knew it. And then I got mad. They asked me what it was. I wrote it. I didn't know what it was. Mm. It was ugly. So then I just got busy with Built to Lead doing my personal opus, my vision, encouraging them to do their own. And that's when everything just started to multiply because I didn't expect them to do what I wanted. And I've learned that if people can touch their heart to something that they want to pursue and they're given a platform to go do it and they know someone believes in them, which is what the gift I got, then oh, it's unbelievable what can happen. And the other day I'm in practice 306 and I don't operate my company anymore. I don't know a lot of the new people. I don't know their names. It's very hard for me in that transition. I used to be so close with everyone. And a gal who's on her second day popped out my vision, my opus. Mm-hmm. She's talking about how we changed the perception of collections. And like when I heard what it looked to be like a stranger saying it, I realized the power behind like, wow, mm-hmm. like that's the power of having an opus. Like you can touch people and you don't even know. I had no clue. I didn't even know she was there. Mm-hmm. And I had met her and she's talking about my vision. And I just, I just, I kind of like had to sit back and go, oh my gosh, like yeah. this is what he talks about. Yeah. But you can't really taste that until you taste it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's been kind of the best thing for me is when you, see somebody else kind of lit up on fire, uh, has a shared belief and is really kind of all in on making their life and their work something that is meaningful. Uh, and having the kind of format of Built to Lead, the clarity of, of what your vision is and your purpose is and, and being able to articulate that and get other people to rally around it is, is a pretty cool thing. And in your case, you know, with choice, change the perception of collections. Just maybe talk a little bit about kind of how choice is unique. The, the Consumer um, Financial Protection Bureau, they're, they're, they're number one industry market. They get the most complaints from every year as the collection industry. It, it, we just get a bad rap, right? And it makes sense why. And I just always felt from the get-go, like when you, when you call my company, when you walk in the doors, when you talk to our staff, when you see our... You're just, we want you to walk away thinking, I cannot believe that's a collection agency. So my whole thing was always being nice to people, hire people, kindness, be nice. You'll get more, you'll get more from being nice. And I had someone in a built to lead practice challenge me. They said, how are you changing the perception of collections? And I, I'd say, we're nice to people. Mm-hmm. But it got to a point where every collection agency had to be nice to people because people were being sued. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't good enough. And I had to raise the bar. I had to do something different. And so I was finding creative ways. And long story short, uh, in 2013, uh, a close friend of mine asked me if I had saw something on the news, uh, on the nightly news the night before about uh, this weird debt buyer in, in Texas that was helping people. And I just started to like, I just get these flashes of just like ideas. I staying up all night, writing them down on a pad of paper. And 
I ended up making a phone call to the gentleman who ran the company. His name was Bill Bartman. He was one of the 25 richest people in the world at the time. And I called him and said, can you come to Columbus? I'd love to get you. He said, for a hundred thousand, I'll come. I'm like, no, thanks. Mm -hmm. And I said, I saw what you did. I said, I want to do something similar. I want to help people. I want to help people get jobs. It makes sense to help people like that we're trying to collect from. They can't pay their bills. And he congratulated me. He said, many people may not like that you're going to do that uh, if you make other people look bad. Mm -hmm. And he basically put me in touch with people on his team that helped me kind of build out a framework that eventually became what is today Restart. And at the time it was... Uh, uh, customer consumer care, um, and we we help people. So when we call people up and they can't pay their bills, instead of just hang up, call to the next one, uh, we we try to help them. And so one other small piece to this story is we were in a built to lead practice, and we had someone say uh, their vision, their their opus was to change people's lives. And so whenever you hear that gushy kind of a thing, like when are you change people's lives, mm -hmm. and I connected dots, and I'm like, maybe I could have her help these people who need. And I, I pulled the trigger. I pulled her off a collection queue. And I said, your job is to pour yourself into people and help them get jobs. Mm -hmm. And she came to me after a day kind of crying because no one wanted her help. They couldn't believe like, what do you, what do you want to do? You're mm -hmm. And I said, keep trying, keep going. And she finally found someone that was shocked that we wanted to help them. And she got them a job. And that's how Restart kind of was born. And Oh my gosh, that that changed everything. Yeah, and and, and I want to uh, have you share more about restart. But what I'm I'm thinking about now is, you know, you've you, I'm kind of connecting dots, you know, all the way through this this life story, and there's clearly a a um, kind of a facilitation of the journey that's been helped enhanced by these tools, you know. So you're you're, you're kind of self studying in the in the think and grow rich and in the Carnegie world. And then you're and you had coaches in your lives and, and, and then in your life. And then, you know, built to lead comes in where you're really engaged in a system. Uh, and, and you and I both have also really benefited from EOS and strategic coach. And, and tell me a little bit about kind of the mind, the, the mindset, you know, it, it might feel a little kind of normalized to you, but you know, how you've actually, been able to get the mindset to just start to do stuff like you just described, to empower somebody, to start essentially another business and restart to kind of move out of the key kind of day-to-day. -day. I mean, those aren't things that most people do. You have a business, you run the business, you're involved in the day-to-day, -day, you might wear a lot of hats. You know, you've really benefited from these tools learned and incorporated them to allow you to start another business to do the things that you do. Why don't you just elaborate a little bit on yeah. kind of how you've arrived at being able to do so much? It's funny. So the tools and the resources, critical. Uh, but on their own, that's all they are. And plenty of people use EOS and Coach and those things were built to lead. And for me, it was the gift of believing. You know, we say leaders are believers. You know, we, we, we always talk about the power of a worldview and how, how strong are we with your core beliefs. And I think having the people in my life that believed in me the way they did, the way they poured themselves into me and what they got from me when they did was, again, that 10 times mindset. Like I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to give back to them so much for their belief in me because they believed in me and I, I wanted to prove myself to them. And then all I did was I just, I saw the power of that. I saw how I reacted when someone believed in me and gave me that platform, gave me an opportunity to either be coached or be in business or whatever it is. And then I just, I would give that gift to other people. And then we just used the tools because we had them 
you know, thank God we had them at our, at our fingertips because I met people like you who told me about EOS. And then I met the guy at EOS who told me about coach. And so I tried out a lot of different programs. Not all of them did mm-hmm. last. We've stuck on a couple that have worked really good. Right. Um, but I think that that people person, the belief, I think that's rare today. I mm-hmm. think that most people don't believe in people that much. And I just had this desire to like give people the same platform that I had. Mm-hmm. And I did it with the tools. So when I was in Built to Lead, I was begging Chet to like, get in with my team. And he wouldn't let me. He said, first, you have to do it. You have to do your discovery. You have to build your opus. Mm -hmm. And I was so anxious to give the gift to other people. And then when I got that opportunity and I saw and I knew what was going to happen, they just, they ate it up. Mm -hmm. And it was not for everybody as we know, but I think when you find the right people and you don't need that many, you just need the few. And we had more than a few. Mm -hmm. And I think so from, from how we started, restart with that one person, how we brought Bill to lead into the team, how I offered Dale Carnegie to people, those are all an extension of what people were doing for me. And then I expanded it. And then I was able to just multiply that doing it with more than just one person. And I'd look at that trail and it's amazing how, yeah, the tools are amazing. They're incredible. Big investments, share the wealth. But without the belief, I, I like I know both of the clients that don't offer it to their team. Yeah, yeah, right. That's great. So I want to kind of shift gears and, and we can kind of wrap up on restart, but I want to um, talk a little bit about kind of another tool and maybe that's like a unfair way to describe it. I'll let you kind of talk about the spirituality piece. For you, you know, you mentioned that um, religion really came into your life when your kids were born. Talk a little bit about that. You know, we, we have a mutual friend in Joe Polish, you know, from Genius Network, uh, who's in coach with us, who, who says that uh, addiction is a solution. It's um, often not a good one, but it is solving for something. And you, you've kind of poured yourself into some things that have spiritually really enhanced your life, you know, rather than kind of, you know, going down other paths with your energy, with your passion, you know, you, you've kind of poured yourself into religion and spirituality as one of the ways to really guide you in life. Talk a little bit about kind of how that's happened and evolved for you and, and become, you know, such an important part of your life. Yeah. So, um, 2010, um, in that time frame, you know, uh, my kids were born in 2008 and when they were born and, uh, I saw that miracle of, of, of twins from an ultrasound to, you know, the first heartbeat we were trying for three years, it did something. It was a trigger for me. And I had never really paid much attention or had any curiosity to learn. Didn't know what Jewish people believed. Didn't have much of it in my life. And um, I just started to ask the questions like, there's got to be something bigger out there. And I just saw a miracle happen in front of me and I wasn't going to deny it. And I remember talking to Scott my wrestling coach. And I told him about this experience. He said, do you want to learn? And I didn't know even what that meant, but it just meant, uh, look, there's a, there's, there's a lot of books that we could be reading that teach us about life. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I picked one up, I saw every thread of leadership I've ever learned. It all had to do with a spiritual component that I believed in. And at the same time, it got multiplied by Chet sitting there saying, write out your worldview. What do you believe? What, What do you believe about the big questions in life? So I was being forced by a coach to get pen to paper write down what I believe as I was learning things that have been passed down for thousands of years in these books from these great sages. And it all aligned with everything I already believed. And it enhanced everything by giving me like a different perspective that, that just made it better. And 
I couldn't deny it. And then I was practicing it and then experiencing it and then seeing the benefits of it. And I was just looking and feeling and experiencing the truth. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I realized as soon as I went down that path, it was a very scary path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that because I've watched you kind of transition through that journey. And, and what was scary about it? What was challenging about it? I was isolated. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think it's not that popular to be religious. And I, um, everything that I took on as a baby step enhanced my life, but it was everything I used to look at and judge. And it started with meeting these rabbis who I used to look and judge, black hats. You know, they, I didn't even think they thought I was Jewish. Mm-hmm. And then I met these guys and they were the most humble, sweetest guys I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. And they didn't push one thing on me. And everything I thought, everything I've been taught was the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. And I've learned in my life, that's how most things are for me. I, mm. It's usually the opposite. And so I just was open to it. And as soon as I started learning and my life started to enhance and everything started to just feel like I was more on a path that I was more destined for, more things changed. The further away I got from where I was, because I was moving away from who I was and becoming who I was going to become. And, I, and it felt right. Mm. And even though it wasn't like everyone else and it wasn't so popular, I just at the same time was building my core with Chet and I, and I, I had to go through a real, real hard transition of not caring so much about the image of what other people think. Um, fast forward all the way up to a few years back when I went to Israel for the first time mm-hmm. and I came back and, uh, you know, in Israel, everyone's wearing yarmulkes. Everybody's, it's, it's very accepted. You feel like you're around everybody and here mm-hmm. in, in Columbus, it's not like that as much. And I came home and I did what I always do. I took my yarmulke off. I put it in my, my glove box. And, mm-hmm. and I remember stopping and saying, like, who am I scared of? And, yeah. and, I, and I, I was scared of you. I was mm-hmm. scared of my friends, my family. Mm-hmm. And I, I eventually just said, I'm, I'm more scared of God. Um, mm-hmm. I know who I'm being held accountable to. So I'm going to keep it on. And it, it, of course, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would mm-hmm. be. I got over the insecurities really quick. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, you know, it's a big, big statement. I, sure. But, I, but it feels right. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like I'm doing anything other than for me and my relationship and, and my spiritual, who I am. And I just have learned not to, not to care so much about what other people think. Yeah. And it's, it's really actually a pretty powerful learning by itself. You know, I, um, I know for me, this is, you know, not the same thing, but in some ways it is. I, I decided to not drink alcohol. Um, a couple of years ago, I just decided I just wasn't feeling hundred percent myself. I never really drank that much, but if I went out on a Saturday night and had a couple of drinks, I would just feel a little bit kind of hazier the next day, maybe a little tired, a little less patient, just a little not like myself. So I started just playing with it. And I was so shocked at how challenging it was to be out socially and to not drink. That That was just like a lot of questions and what felt like judgment to me. Like, what do you mean? What's wrong? Are you an alcoholic? Don't you like to have fun? Right. And, you know, and, and, you know, I, I still will have a drink, you know, every once in a while, like very, maybe once a year, twice a year kind of thing. But it, but it, it was the experience of going through this thing where there was a lot of like noise around it. Um, to eventually land on a place where it was like, I, I don't care about the noise because I just feel so much better. I, this is just kind of where I am and what I like to do and what feels right for me. But I think that is a thing that is really true about a lot, right? There's a lot of judgments. There's a lot of societal expectations, family expectations, right? 
you know, for you, I'm sure within the context of your family, this transition could have been hard. And so, you know, I just want to kind of highlight that as like, sometimes it's, it's going through the thing just to kind of live into your true, authentic, you know, highest and best self is, is so powerful by, by itself, the experience of it. Yeah, for sure. And, and, I, and I've learned the hard way that, uh, especially on a spiritual su- side of it, is that uh, it's important to be practical and realistic and not, uh, and not you know, reach too high baby steps. The, 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 that process is slow and to be patient with it and not be so hard on yourself. And, you know, I think that's a, a lesson that I've had to learn over time that's really worked to my benefit is that I, I was doing, I felt like I was always doing it for the right reason. I had a very strong purpose and I didn't feel like I needed to prove that to anyone. Like there were other things I had to prove to people at work and the development and all that. And yeah, and then get them in board, buy in. With this, this was a this was an inner deal, and I didn't have to worry about what other people. Even though I had to get over that, and it just it just it just fit. It just worked, even though it wasn't popular. It fit, you know. So I was like kind of an outlier in my personal life. Like I was trying to do it in the in the professional side, and I don't know. I don't I don't mind being that 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 guy. And I think for me, because it, again, it felt like it was for the right reason. I wasn't trying to prove it to anyone else that it, that it just had continued to grow with it. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit before we started record. Now you're kind of integrating all of it, right? You're, you're, uh, you are now sharing all of these tools, all of this learning in the religious community, in the Jewish community. Talk a little bit about kind of how you've now integrated your work in your life so that you can serve other people. Yeah, so it's so cool. And, and it's funny because I, um, I mean, I remember coming to your team um, in doing Colby and I, I became a Colby surfer and I was, I, and I, I've done so much for free. Mm-hmm. I've given away so much because I love to help people. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, and I, you always get stuff back, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's always amazing how the reciprocity works that way. Um, but now I've realized like there's, there's like real value in a lot of this stuff. So now I'm being a little bit more pickier with how I'm integrating, but I, I'm, I'm a, Builds a lead coach. I'm, I'm, I, uh, I do practice with a bunch of high school kids over at CTA here in Columbus. And uh, these kids just, I learn from them just as much as they're learning from me. And I enjoy it. I love it. So I'm so mm. passionate about it. So it's not a burden. It doesn't feel like work. You know, the whole aim that we try to pursue and build to lead is to not know whether you're working or playing. Mm. And I, I, I remember begging Chet, like, how do I integrate a work opus and a personal mm. opus? And I'm a collection agency owner, but I want to like, and now like, you, can't talk about that. You have to. You have to go down that journey. You have to experience it. So today, taking all these tools from the coach and the, I'm doing these cool things with playbook and restart. It's like no matter where I find myself, I can I can deliver some value. I love to give some value away and and and, and make an impact. And uh, if if I can't, then I'm in learner mode and I'm going to soak up everything I can uh, from the person who's giving. Yeah. And so I think depending on where I'm at, you know, if I'm coaching or if I'm at my office. Uh, currently, I'm going through a transition with choice, having someone else run the company. That's a very different place for me to be in. And then starting restarting a startup, I'm like back at square one. Yeah. So I'm just kind of like now reinvented, but with a lot more tools and a lot more resources in it, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be able to kind of start with all that learning and yeah. all that experience. So why, why don't you kind of wrap up by sharing uh, a little bit more, talk about restart. Yeah. Uh, I think it's amazing and we're happy to be working with you. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, talk about that. So I, I want to start, I wanted to start a business that was a little bit different than my other business. I don't want to have clients. I don't want to be on the hook. I don't want to be held accountable. I want to have fun mm-hmm. and I want to be able to build an, 
abundance of wealth so I can pour back into my community because I have big goals that I want to do to give back. And the only way I can do that is if I'm able to generate wealth. And so with Restart, what we're trying to do is, is do good. So, you know, we're kind of championing that conscious capitalism platform. And the one thing I've learned in 23 years of, of, of choice is that it is really hard to find good people. Recruiting is just a nightmare. The process is set up uh, to work against you. And there are companies making billions of dollars from the job boards and deeds, recruiters, headhunters. They're, they're amazing. I mean, but that's their unique ability, not mine. And then on the front, from an employee perspective, I've interviewed, I don't know how many hundreds of people, but I hear the same thing from every single person. And it is so hard for them. They don't know what to do. They're spamming people, their resumes. They're just trying to find a job, let alone find a place they like. So the system of finding a job in a career that you love is broke. It does not work well. And I'm blessed as can be to have freedom and be in a job I love and a career I love. And I think everyone deserves that. So what Restart does is that we want to create a platform. We're um, developing right now our, our 2.0 version of our app that we're going to do it online so that people can have access so we can scale this up. But we provide one-on-one coaching uh, that would include any from resume building to uh, a personal profile from your LinkedIn to just basically your personal brand. And then we kind of give you a platform to try to find a job you love. And what we've done is we've created a hiring partner network. So for the employers, we're giving them a free option to find people which is not very popular these days because there's a lot of companies making a lot of money. And we want to basically be connectors. We don't get people jobs. They have to get the job, but we want to empower them. So we're doing everything from training. So we teach people how to interview. We give them tools and resources and all the learning that we've been able to like kind of gather over the years. And we're going to give them the best practices to set them up to be successful because we believe that right now employers have the upper hand all the time. And uh, we do that for free for them. So for you have all these job seekers who are going to get all these tools and resources to get a job they love. You have all these employers who are desperately looking for good people. And we're just kind of going to come in the middle as a matchmaker, give them a platform to be able to match up based on their skills and what they're looking for. And we figured out a way to monetize the business um, from a sponsorship side. And my company, Choice Recovery, is the champion sponsor. Mm-hmm. And basically, companies are going to or, and are paying right now for a sponsorship so that they can offer this platform to their paying customers. Because there's one thing I know about paying customers, you want them to keep being able to pay. And when they can't pay because they have something happen with their health or they have something happen um, where they have unexpected expenses or they lose their job unexpectedly, which is happening every day to thousands of people, it's nice to have a person who's going to work for you mm-hmm. instead of feeling like you're going to be a pawn mm-hmm. in a staffing agency. So we've created this platform. We've helped almost 700 people. And uh, our biggest wins usually come when we don't help them get the job, but we poured ourselves in and gave them tools and resources that help them. Mm-hmm. And we have a, you know, a wallpapered office of people <laughs> saying that we've, we've helped them. And now to be able to share that gift with other, other companies it's just so cool. I just, yeah. I love seeing people take advantage of it and like the work you're doing at Gravity and like, you know, you know, if we help one person, it's worth it. Yeah. And so since they're not paying for it, it seems like it's a win-win and if it can help people get good jobs and our goal is to have people kind of know that if you need a job, you can go to Restart and it's free and you can check out the platform and, and uh, it's, 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 it's a really cool endeavor. We're really awesome. kind of creating it and just seeing where it can go. Yeah. Well, it's really fun to watch you as a friend uh, continue to expand and, and constantly learning, uh, I think you know you've you've really helped me. You know, kind of uh, you, you keep raising the bar, and I I keep wanting to be inspired to kind of keep up and and learn and grow with you. And you know, watching you apply all that growth in your life 
and your work, I mean, both, but really in your life, especially has been just so beautiful to watch and see. And you are helping people and you're helping a lot of them. And it's like Dan Sullivan says, you know, that, that wherever the problems are, there, there's the solutions and uh, you keep identifying problems in the world or in your business or in your life and, and solving for them, constantly solving that kind of thirst from your wrestling days, I think, you know, has served you really, really well. And, and so have all the tools and your spirituality and, uh, and yeah. look and our other, our, another coach, uh, Norm Shubb, who used to, mm-hmm. used to say that if you're not making someone else's life better, you're wasting your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true too. And I, you know, I love that, like, you know, if you look at like the collaborative efforts of what companies are doing today and how you find yourself in this blue ocean where people can't compete because they don't even know what you're doing. Yeah. And to be able to like take a real estate company and possibly connected to a company that can help people in case they were to lose their job or people in your community, which Gravity is doing. Like the, that, that collaborative, we never saw that coming. And to me, that is so cool. Yeah. It's so exciting. And it's like, there's no transactions going on, but it's like, it's just, we're doing good. Yeah. I, I just think that's so exciting. That's that. a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Sam is uh, your partner in Restart, yeah. who was also on the podcast. So go back and listen to Sam's podcast if you're interested. He was uh, great, great interview and a uh, hell of a guy. And, and you guys have uh, really formed a great partnership. You've got, you know, who not how, right? Mm-hmm. So you are whoing up a lot of things for all your what's. Um, and it's, it's cool to see you elevate into yeah. really empowering other people to own and operate businesses, much like Norm did for you. Yeah. Um, and where you can get into that u- unique ability and really drive so much value back to the business. It's, it's awesome. So thank you. Thank you. Any, anywhere you want to kind of direct people to find you, anything you want to plug uh, here's your chance. Yeah, no, look, you know, I think we'll, we'll be able to come out with some of that restart stuff. We're launching a new website coming up in the next 30 days. Right now at joinrestart.com is where people go for job seekers. And then the employers are going to restartworks.com. And uh, we're going to get a new look kind of coming up in the next month or two. And yeah, we are we are looking for people who are wanting to be sponsors and run pilot programs uh, so we can give people an opportunity to taste it and see if it can help their business. And again, it's for any business that has people that pay them and they have a stake in them working. So it's it just makes sense. Yeah, great. Yeah, Awesome. Well, thank thanks you so for much. Here, thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.